Hi guys, welcome back to the original judo podcast. Uh, we are coming to you several weeks after the Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games. I almost forgot what I was talking about then. And uh, delighted to have one of the athletes, um, someone who put in an incredible performance on the day. I'm sure he's gonna. we're going to get into it. Um, it's Northern Ireland's, Ireland's Owen Fleming. Owen, how you doing? Yeah, all good, mate. Cheers, cheers for having us on, James. I've been looking forward to it. Ah, it is absolutely superb to 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 get you on. Um, yeah, you know, really dig into a little bit about your judo career, and yeah. then obviously the 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 two Commonwealth Games that you've competed in. Um, mm-hmm. It's a small podcast, so for those yeah. who don't know, could you just talk a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got into judo? Yeah, so uh, name's Owen Fleming, um, from Ireland, Belfast. Uh, started judo when I was about seven. Uh, my dad brought me along, like the local club, Yamakai Judo Club, and um, he said he had done judo a bit at university. He said, "Do you fancy it?" And to be honest, I didn't, I didn't really, I wasn't too keen, but because your dad's brought you along to sport, you don't really want to say no. So I was like, "Yeah, of course, we'll give it a go." And then from that, that was it. I sort of fell in love with the sport. Um, Jimmy Ward, Kieran's father, was my first cl- uh, club coach, and uh, he was brilliant. So he, he got me like we fell in love with the sport from a very young age. And then uh, I remember Kieran was in the hall one day, and my dad said, "Oh, this is Kieran Ward, Jimmy's son. He fought at the Olympics." And from then I was like, "Wow, judo is at the Olympics! Like this is what I want to do." So from an early age, I always thought like, I want to go as far as I possibly can and. A judo and just sort of stuck at it from then and uh then so that was probably 20 years ago now and the times moved on but and kieran's still my coach and we're still doing judo still chasing the dream love that and i think the the bit that everybody's going to be uh disappointed you didn't mention is that when you were a kid you you taught yourself irish dancing from watching <laughs> on the tv yeah so you've spotted that little article have you um, <laughs> yeah of course I, well, my dad would have been like a Irish champion, world medalist, world champion, and stuff. And Are Irish dancing would have been would have been a lot more popular than it, it is now. Back in the day, and uh, like Kieran Ward would have been Irish champion and stuff, and Irish dancing. Like so, everyone, everyone would have done it. So my family was very much steeped in 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 Irish, all sort of Irish culture, whether it's Gaelic football, hurling, Irish dancing. We, we did it also. My dad would have then taught it, and uh, from a young age. Um, River dance would have been a thing then, so he would have actually taught some of the the dancers that wanted to, to get on the river dance. So, um, he brought he would have had like videos and stuff, and I'd have stuck them on and sat in front of the TV. And there's videos of me at like three, two, and three trying to be an Irish dancer in front of the TV screen. So oh, I, I but would have done it for a wee bit. Yeah. Um, and would have came to my dad's club and stuff, or like little school, and did a wee bit of Irish dancing, but nothing. Uh like competitive and um and then it became when it was maybe about seven or so whenever uh i was old enough to start doing judo i was like right i, I i'm not doing I'm not doing any of that and i went and just did judo and stuff uh, like this is this is a revelation to me like mainly i'm aware of irish dancing river dance through the eurovision like years ago yeah 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 that's where um, it all came i was unaware that there were it was a yeah, I, I was kind of like I thought it was like folk dancing over here. I wasn't sure that it was such a big thing in Ireland. 
And you know, it's, it would have used to be massive. Like, and to this day, it's, it's still quite big and stuff. Like, my dad would um, be like what they call adjudicator, so it's almost like a judge, and they would fly him. Like, they tried to get him to go to Russia, the, the judge in Irish dancing tournament. Like, he was like, oh, I'm not going to Russia. Like, this is a few years ago. But, like, it's, it is everywhere. Like, you know what, what Irish people are like? We are everywhere. So, um, people are trying to hold on to their, their culture and stuff abroad. So, um, yeah, so the, there's there's all sorts of sports just steeped in the family, and Irish dancing is just one of them. That's amazing. Um, one of the names you threw out there, Kieran Woods, is a name I've heard a little bit recently. I spoke to uh, Lisa Kearney a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she obviously talks about Kieran as a coach and such a massive influence in her career. Um, Kieran's your coach. Like, how yeah. long have you been working with him? Like, what's his role now in, in Irish judo and with you? Yeah, so I st- well, so I started judo at seven, and it would have been his dad was the coach, the the head club coach, and Kieran would have been starting the schools around then, um, so he would have been in about the club, um, but I would have been a wee bit younger than Lisa and some of the older ones that he was coaching at that time, um, but whenever Kieran's dad passed away, Kieran took on a bigger role with the club, and uh, I would have moved up into like the older class. And uh, Kieran started to look after me properly, probably from around 12 or 13. So we're talking 15 years. He's been he's been coaching me since then um, and started off as club coach. And then Kieran also started as a national coach um, around then. And he would have been basically just Lisa's main coach, bringing, bringing her through around the tour, traveling the world with her and then also um, taking my club sessions. And uh, then he sort of, he was always sort of in charge of like the, what would be now called high performance coaching with Irish Judo, but there was no such thing. There was no structure in place. So he, uh, he basically just did every job you could think of, ran, ran it all from every age group. It was him sort of trying to bring people through from cadet, junior, senior. Um, fast forward to now, He's in charge. He's high performance director with uh, Irish Judo. He would be um, also in charge of the Northern Ireland Performance Program, which is sort of a, a sport NI rule, but it, it links with people. Obviously, with the politics here, you can fight for Ireland, you can fight for Britain, but either way, you fall under this Northern Ireland Performance Program. So it doesn't matter who you fight for, and the target for that was. Building from Glasgow to Birmingham, trying to build a um, successful Commonwealth team and then moving on towards the Olympic Games. Uh, before, uh, between uh, London and Tokyo, he was what you would call high-performance director, but he was he was doing it all basically for free. I mean, like he wasn't on a paid role. There was no salary, so it was crazy that he was investing all this time in it. Um, and after Lisa retired, then between uh, Rio and Tokyo, um, Ben, Megan, and Nathan, they came over for Ireland. So he would have been in charge of, of their guys' programs and bringing them through to Tokyo. And then just before Tokyo, just after Tokyo, they made a rule for him so that he would finally, after 20 years of doing a job, get, get a, a wage for it. So he's wow. been... 
been long overdue. But so yes, he's now the performance director, high performance director for Sport Ireland for Irish Judo, and for Sport NI, he is the in charge of the Northern Ireland performance program. Amazing, and then you coming back to coming back to your judo. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to talk about like how you've made your way. You're you're another athlete who's ended up at Edinburgh Judo Club, uh, and then you know part of the judo wider judo scotland i guess mm -hmm. set up yeah um or training certainly out of out of ratho and and um and and edinburgh judo club how do you find yourself uh moving over there what went into that for you so after glasgow um i knew that so i went well glasgow went well the commonwealth i was just turned 19 um put on a good performance i knew that this is what i wanted to do and and you living in training in Belfast wasn't going to allow me to do it. I didn't have the training partners. So I was always going to move full time. It was just whether it became when I was going to make that move. And I was doing university and stuff at the time in Belfast, but I just knew judo was what my priority was. So um, I decided after Glasgow, I would move. I would go to Edinburgh and... Uh, go for a week, do a week's training, just sort of see how it was. And I was staying with Lisa um, in her flat at the time, and she would be driving me to the sessions to sort of live the, the life of a full-time athlete. So this would have been September, so maybe like a month and a half after Commonwealth. And first session, honestly, half an hour into the session, I was doing around the way with Reese, and I threw him with a sumigesh, and my shoulder, uh, totally front and back of the labrum, and... I was on a flight home that night. Is, so this, your, first, is this your week visit? Is this on the week? My week visit, <laughs> yeah. The but this is what the life of a full time athlete is gonna be. And wouldn't you know, this is what my full time athlete career has become. So a week a week's visit, first half an hour, tore the shoulder, had to get home, had a surgery about two, three weeks later, and I was out until the following April. So April twenty fifteen comes um, and I'm back fighting. I do like a, a warm up tournament in the Northern Ireland Open. I think I won that, and then I was like, right, I'll I'll move over to Edinburgh in the summer. So I fought European Games that summer. The first ones in Baku, and uh, so I was still at seventy three at the time. And then so I moved to Edinburgh, and the move came because basically Kieran had that relationship with Davy and mm -hmm. with Billy. Um, obviously Kieran. For the the second uh, Olympics, he went to Athens. Billy was his coach in Edinburgh, and Davy obviously would have been his training partner, so it made sense. He knew the place. Lisa was there. He knew that they would look after me, so I was like, "Right, that's the place to go." And even though I was only there for half an hour of a session, I I know I knew that the atmosphere, I knew the boys, I knew from fighting like Pat and stuff at training camps and um getting on with Reese and stuff, that it was going to be a good place for me. So um, I, I knew Edinburgh would have been the, the spot for me to move to. Move to. So um, the summer of 2015, I moved over to Edinburgh to, to train, to train full-time. We, we were like ships in the night. So I obviously was in Edinburgh, but then moved down October 2014, having, oh yeah, just uh, wrecked my knee. Um, yeah. 
And then like, I I knew you were training up there, but I didn't obviously know you until we moved in with Reese. You, you didn't yeah. know Reese, didn't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that kind of decision to move abroad, and you've kind of mm -hmm. talked about it already when you're talking about uh, Kieran finally getting a, a paid role. Is there the infrastructure in Ireland or Northern Ireland to, at the moment, to produce athletes who can go to a Commonwealth Games, who can go to an Olympics? Or again, is there a pressure on you to kind of look further afield to get kind of training? Um, so when I was coming through, so I was saying as if I'm, I'm I'm 27 now, so obviously I'm I'm older than than uh, some of the players that you see on the circuit, which is crazy now. But it hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. It is a bit mad. I still find myself like oh, I'm still not in my prime just yet, <laughs> convincing myself that I've still got time. But they, whenever I was coming through that junior to senior transition stage, is very important. Just where you need to get your volume, and there wasn't people for me. I, I would have been training. Twice a twice a night or twice a week, sorry, in Belfast until I went full time. There was just no other clubs around. There was nothing for me. Um, I was obviously, as you said, you'll touch a bit on Gaelic football and stuff later on. But I would have been playing other sports, just doing every night. I had some sort of sport, but judo would have been two, three times a week until I went full time. And uh, so it, it wouldn't have been possible then for me to to live in Belfast. Now it, it is definitely different. There's more players coming through. There's a younger squad around that 21, 22, 23 age that are all staying in Belfast. And uh, some have moved down to, from Dublin to Belfast. And Kieran's trying to build like a, a little home training centre, a full-time centre at home. He's like, because for too long, we've had to send people away. Kieran went away. Keith went away. Lisa went away. I've gone away. And it's... It's obviously better to be able to have people at home so that the younger generation can then see that and you can start to bleed them through instead of only hearing about full-time athletes, but you don't actually see them. So he's definitely been trying to build something and he's been doing that since Glasgow up to um, up in the Birmingham. So there's a few on the, on the squad that are now seniors and they're competing for Continental Open medals, fighting for Commonwealth medals. Uh, the Joshua Green, 73s. Uh, Cal Nash, 66. Barak Leeson, he's moved from Dublin to, uh, up to Belfast, 81s. And then you've got a couple of the girls as well, Rachel Hawks and stuff, who's 70s, who are using Belfast as their home base. And then we've got a couple of the young, a younger junior cadets who's trying to start to bleed through. So the Northern Ireland Performance Programme has been great for that because it, it gives people an opportunity to have their morning sessions and then with Kieran and in their evening sessions they're finding a club so they're they're training full-time hours but obviously with they're with Kieran during the days and then in the evenings they're at clubs so it is definitely building toward what your Edinburgh centre would be like doesn't have the numbers and stuff yet but it's definitely heading in the right direction. So hopefully, as time goes on, you know they get there because it, it it's obviously much better and uh, to be able to keep everyone in your own country. So I had a I had a really amazing experience in Edinburgh, and I suspect that you know they've done incredible things with you as well. Um, would you, if that setup had been there at the time, 
um, before you moved over, would that would you would you have stayed or would you have been tempted to stay or again would you have been looking? Because um, I know again, some of the Irish boys have ended up in Camberley as well. Is that yeah. right? And then would you would you have stayed or would there have been a bigger pull to stay? In, in, in the past, there was a few went went to Camberley and stuff. Who, uh, but this was even sort of even before I was moving. That sort of between Lisa and me, it's a few went to Camberley, um, but since then, it's mostly been moving to Edinburgh. If if, if things had been different, would I have stayed or moved? I don't know. I think um, I wouldn't change my my experience because. Of I what I know as as happened, you know what I mean, from Edinburgh. But would I have made that decision to to, to move? Probably not. Like, um, I am a home bird, you know what I mean. So I do. I love Ireland. I love everything about Ireland. So I would have probably stayed. And the fact that there's three, four boys in the round my weight, all sort of pushing towards the same thing. That's all you really need. Like, like yeah. you don't need to have forty on the mat your weight. At, like you can go, you can do your technical work. You can do your main bulk around Dory with that four or five people, and then do what these boys are doing. Like so, uh, Joshua and Barak phoned me last week because obviously I'm out injured. Can we use your flat in Edinburgh for two weeks? Yeah, where you go. So they're staying in my flat, training there for two weeks. Where you go. Like so, you, you can go find the volume when you yeah. need it when it suits the program. So I'd say it probably would have been something like that. I probably would have stayed and then gone to Edinburgh for a week here. Gone to everyone. We're all going to Valencia now every other week. We've been there so much. Like and during the COVID period and stuff, we were there. I think I must have done about three months in total that year. <laughs> and great place to be in some, but that is what you can sort of do. And then the amount of training camps that there is now. So I'd say I probably would have stayed and um, had the technical input with Kieran. And then when we need that Randori volume, would have uh, travelled. So you you pick it up quite quickly. I jump from topic to topic. Yeah, forgetting, forget forgetting massive things. You've had you've mentioned the the two Commonwealth Games. Um, yeah, you had Glasgow when you're 19. You've just had Birmingham at 27. Yeah. What what's it like? First of all, before we get into the results, the performances, what's it like to yeah, be representing Northern Ireland, like on what is such a big stage for judo? Well, it's, it's incredible. Like, you know, like you obviously fought at the Olympics pinnacle, but it's, it's like, it's what you dream of, you know, when you want to be fighting at these multi-sport games. Um, and that's what they were treated like. You know, they were treated like a, like a mini Olympics. And, you know, you Especially Glasgow, and with because COVID hit Birmingham, the village was a bit different. But Glasgow itself was it was incredible seeing all these different athletes. Like you see a boat walking down the street beside your village, like your accommodation. Like it's you're not judo people were not used to seeing like these massive superstars. So it is class and the build up, the media attention. You know everyone's wishing you good luck, and um, it's a great opportunity. You know I remember. I'd be a Celtic fan, and I remember when I was a kid, when Glasgow were pushing to host the Commonwealth. I remember being at a Celtic match and seeing the like, the like a poster almost up at the side of Parkhead, being like Glasgow twenty twenty fourteen, and my dad was like, you know, you could fight at that, and I was young at the time. I was thinking 
2014. I was like, I'm, I'm not even a senior then. I'm probably not, but <laughs> something to work towards. And, yeah, and yeah. obviously it came, it came in its fruition. Like, but um, it's, it's, it's incredible to get that opportunity fighting on like, your friends and family, either going to watch it or watching it on BBC. And my mates all slag me because every time they've watched me on BBC, I seem to get beat. So they, um, <laughs> it's it's just one of those things but it's um it's it's been it's been great the exposure and learn the people that there are to support you and stuff you know what i mean and giving you that that focus to work towards something two years in advance like training towards it building it up and then how you handle that pressure it's, it's good it's good experience how how was the pressure for you? Is there is there a pressure for you to go and perform at a Birmingham? So the, the, the thing that we haven't said is you've you've come away with two fifth places, which is the most That's heartbreaking it. spot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, going into Birmingham, having um, having gone into Glasgow at such a young age, yeah, coming away so close to the medal, going into Birmingham, do you feel there is a pressure there? Um. I put, I definitely put pressure on myself because I knew what I was capable of. Like I, I knew, I knew eighty-one kilos. There was four, like including myself, that should be meddling. You know what I mean? The, if one of us didn't medal, it was it was our own fault, sort of thing. There was two Canadians in Lachlan and myself would have been the top four seeds, and we definitely should have been the four on the podium. Um. So I knew myself that, that this is what I was expecting and it was what I was working towards. You know? So like, I put pressure on myself um, and I think there were like obviously BBC, like all these different people trying to contact you, the interview like BBC and I and stuff and newspapers back home because they remember how Glasgow went for me. They see me as the person on the team that is going to their second Commonwealth. So they are expecting medals and stuff, and people are, you know, like BBC had me as a one to watch, if you know what I mean. Like in, mm. like in BBC, and like so, it's there are pressure, but I, to be honest with you, I didn't really, I didn't really think of it like that. Like I didn't really care about outside pressure, if you know what I mean. It was more what I thought for myself and expected and demanded of myself, and then um, wanting to do. Like the program, Kieran's program, proud and wanting to, to get make that successful because obviously there's other people that put hard work like into me, if you know what I mean. So it was more pressure that I put on myself, um, to perform on the day. So there was, you you go into Glasgow as a fresh faced nineteen yeah. year old, um, kid, kids, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's is was your was your outlook different going into Birmingham? Yeah, Obviously, yeah. at twenty seven, having all this experience, you know, you've been on the IGF circuit, you've competed, you know, all around the world. Um, yeah. Oh no, the pressure was definitely different. Like going to Glasgow was more just go and see what what happens. You know what I mean? Go try and cause an upset or two, and and just fight each fight to the death. So that's what it did, and like, I had a I had a really good day, and. Going into it, I was 73s and I knew I wasn't going to be fighting 73s forever. So it was like, this is, we thought this is the last time 73 kilos. Put in a good performance, won my first fight quite well, then had a really tight fight with 
with Danny Williams um, in the quarterfinal um, and a couple of decisions here and there with the Shido's and stuff and I felt it could have went the other way and, and obviously Danny had found out late that he was fighting so he had a horrible weight cut so I was just trying to put the pressure on him and he was taking 10 minutes to get off the map between exchanges and another referee's just then hurry up and stand up and I'm like never mind that give him a Shido but eventually he caught me Eventually he caught me with the arm lock at near the end of the fight. He went on, won the gold. And then I was like, well, it is what it is. You know, just go out and fight the next fight, the Repressor's fight, see what happens. I won that. And then I was fighting um, the the guy that beat Pat, actually, that day, the South African, um, for bronze. And I'd previously beaten that South African uh, for a, a continental Open medal, medal in uh, yeah, Van Zyl. And uh, I'd beaten him before, a couple of months before before so i was actually thinking you know i could i could do something here the medals on the, the cards and then i just i froze in the medal fight like uh, just did not start well didn't get in the fight and then made the biggest rookie mistake at the time i had zero niwaza and <laughs> we went the ground went the fight went to the ground and i just tried to quickly stand up and as i stand up he just crocodile rolls and hold, holds me down and and that was a fight over and disappointment. Like, but it wasn't the, um, it wasn't the end of the world because I knew I was still young. It was an opportunity for me to, to push on from that. Do you know what I mean? So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like the worst feeling. It was more. I was happy enough of how I performed. What What's the goals after that? Because um, obviously Birmingham hadn't been announced at that stage. Are you yeah. and judo's not in a Commonwealth Games? every single cycle yeah. like it's only been in i mean it was in auckland which is the only time outside of the uk um, yeah that it's been in a, a, a commonwealth um are you looking at olympics are you hoping yeah. that it's just added to a commonwealth games calendar what's the, what are the goals well i was hoping for olympics you know what I mean? um always thought rio might have been a bit close um but tokyo would have been the target so it would have and then if, if it became a Commonwealth sport again, Commonwealths. So that was part of the, the drive for moving to, to Edinburgh because I wanted to get another experience at multi-sport games and I wanted to, to make it a successful one. Um, and then we because uh, the Commonwealth went so well and I don't, I don't, like after I made weight, the Commonwealth it ripped up my sweatsuit. I was like, I don't need this. I'm going to 81s. <laughs> Did, did you actually Happy tell me days. you actually ripped up your sweatsuit? I genuinely ripped my sweatsuit. <laughs> I was like, this is it. This is I'm allowed to eat. That food village is getting torn up. And then Kieran's put a kind of conversation. He's like, look, you fought really well. Let's keep going 73s for as long as we can. And I was like, oh, damn it, right? <laughs> Amazon ban on their sweatsuit. So it was it was the move to, to Edinburgh and make a push for Rio and and beyond. Then obviously had a that shoulder injury kept me out for nearly a year, and then it became right. Okay, forget about chasing funding, forget about um, chasing Olympics. Let's just develop and uh, just trust the process and what comes comes in the next couple of years. And the results didn't really come as I'd hoped. So it became, like I was just sort of grinding away training at at Edinburgh building the Niwaza for starters and uh, just learning the fight and learning like just to trust the grind and um, 
then a medal didn't really come on the international circuit until 2018. So it was it was a long time. And then from then I was like, right, I'm going to make a push for, for Tokyo. But just didn't really... Um, I didn't progress as I thought I could, I should have. And then because I wasn't getting the, the results, I wasn't going to the, like the, the Olympics. Now you have to be fighting Grand Slams mm-hmm. in order to get enough points. But Irish judo, there's not a lot of money. So like they, they can't just be sending everybody. So they had Ben, Megan and Nathan there yeah. that are like ready made. They're, they're all there, thereabouts for the Olympics. So, course like the month the funding that goes towards these guys to, to go to these tournaments and us on the next sort of level below them we're doing the like the continental open circuit we're dipping in and out to the odd grand prix if we can afford it but it's mostly um the continental opens and i'm winning fights fighting for medals and took a couple of medals but nothing that would have allowed me to get close enough to, to tokyo and then Whenever that sort of happened, it was we knew judo would be in Glas in Birmingham, so then Birmingham became the next focus. Cool. What's what's your reception like as uh, someone representing Northern Ireland in Glasgow, twenty fourteen? How did the crowd oh, receive it was, you? It was amazing. Like it was class. To be fair, a lot of support. Um, because it's so close to the back home. You know what I mean? Like it. Um. It's a different sort of like obviously we fight I fight for Ireland, I would consider myself Irish and stuff, but we compete for Northern Ireland at the Commonwealth and it's so it's a different sort of feel in terms of like the British support are supporting us when they maybe wouldn't normally support us. So it's it's all different, but you buy into it and, and it's um it's good it's 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 incredible, like walking out, having the everyone and the Glasgow crowd were, were amazing, you know, like the stadium was amazing. Everyone banging the chairs and getting you through the fights, cheering for you to win, and um, even having people pronounce your name right when you're walking out. I remember the the, the announcers they had Owen Fleming. I was like, oh, right, it's not Eon, it's not Ewan, it's not Ian. It's they got it right. So it's uh, it was cool, and the crowd are obviously class, and the atmosphere was brilliant. So um, it would have been good to get the medal and stuff, but it's, you remember, I still remember Glasgow fondly. Well, I'm massively, massively jealous. Like, obviously forced to yeah. sit out of Glasgow and on the sideline, it was just incredible to to see the response the crowd gave. Yeah, like all the kind of home Scottish, mm-hmm. Northern Ireland, English, Welsh fighters. Um, and then Birmingham again. Like, I thought the crowd were again, like, really good. Um, it's such a great vehicle for judo like the yeah. stage the the media the the production that goes into it um yeah no it was brilliant birmingham again was incredible and it's sort of like you know yourself you were there and you were rallying up the crowd being your best bruce buffer impersonator <laughs> and and uh you know the crowd were brilliant and they were cheering us on they got us through because like I, I did not start that competition well, and I got got the win eventually. But the crowd were great to keep you going, and um, and then obviously as the day went on, it was bigger and bigger. And then obviously how it ended wasn't great, but the crowd were 
were incredible and it's probably what people will remember like from that day it's definitely what people speak to me about was the crowd the extended ovation and stuff you know so it was uh it was it was really good so one of the things about the the commonwealth i enjoy the most is you start to see some of these smaller nations who've perhaps not got a massive amount of strength in judo but they do have their own kind of styles or wrestling backgrounds um mm -hmm. And again, like across the two games, you've fought, um, you know, uh, again, talking about the smaller judo nations, a Kenyan, uh, someone from Senegal, uh, Nauru, a Cypriot. What's it like going out against those guys? Because again, like I hated that because yeah, you knew it. that they're going to be physical. You knew mm -hmm. that they're going to have something or not quite move how you're going to expect. Yeah. They're going to do something to surprise you. How's that? It was, oh, it's different. I feel I'm quite confident in the gym, quite confident strength-wise when it transfers over the judo. But when you grip up with some of these nations, you feel the power and you're thinking, oh my God, what is, this is different. And they don't move quite the same. They don't react how you expect people to react. So you have to almost just grind out a win. And you saw, like, you saw during, especially during Birmingham, like some of the big names were dragged deep in the golden score by some of the, the weaker nations. I totally, then, no, I totally agree. I think again, some of these like it's it's well, a even with the Cypriot team there. Like so, the Cypriot team we knew. I didn't know much about the guy who I was due to fight, but the Cypriot who won sixty sixes, he took Dennis Veru deep in the golden score. Veru had two shidos a couple yeah. of weeks before the Commonwealth. Like that, and that then Cypriot half of them were Georgian, yeah. Georgian, and like Greek. So it's like this is going to be a dangerous fight. And Callum, unfortunately, at our sixty six kilo player drew the the Cypriot first fight and gave him a de decent fight. He was unlucky. And then he went on to win the tournament. And then I had the Cypriot first fight. Uh, Joshua had the Cypriot in the quarterfinal. So we knew we were going to have these players that we weren't going to be too sure about, but knew they were going to be dangerous. And so it was sort of trying to figure out how to fight them. Because you go from your first fight against, it could be against an African where it's strong, powerful, explosive, wrestling style, with a load of drops thrown in, and then you transfer over to a Cypriot where you're fighting a Georgian-style Greek, powerful athletic pickups, cross-grip, just dangerous attacks that you don't want to be on the receiving end of something because if they get in and they get their hips engaged, you're on the highlight reel for the wrong reason. And then, then you transfer over and you're you fighting still made the the you, You'd still have made the highlight reel, though. So. Yeah. <laughs> then you could fight the Canadian... And who've got lovely judo. They're building a program there. It's from nearly the program dying before London. Mm -hmm. And then Val Forte takes a medal. And then all of a sudden, millions pumped into Canadian judo. One of the top sport uh, judo countries in the world now. So they just have to be able to adapt to so many different, different types of styles. And that's different to the Olympics because... To get to the Olympics, you know, you have to be the top players. And they all sort of fight similar. Anyone... Anyone who who gets to the Olympics, qualifies for the Olympics, could medal at the yeah. Olympics. Like the draw goes their way. Whereas the Commonwealth, it's so so many different styles and you just if you get caught, you get caught. I think that's that was one of the really big things that stood out from the actual judo was that yeah, again at the Olympics, you have a Japanese style, you have a Georgian style, the Korean style's quite distinctive. Mm -hmm. 
maybe Mongolia, but again, I think they're being drawn more into a generalist style. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, it's not much of a muchness. There's some incredible judo. But at the Commonwealth, you definitely saw, yeah, what the different nations wrestling backgrounds was or sporting backgrounds was and there's real clashes and like you say some of the top names are getting drawn into these really long battles against people you wouldn't expect because they're just not used to whether it's the physicality whether it is the the technical or tactical differences um and it leads to exciting fights yeah unfortunately the irish there we can't do a river dance we can't let that <laughs> hurl or get a good football so we're sort of stuck <laughs> You find yourself um, in a semi-final against the Canadian um, Dra Drapo Gautier, Gautier Drapo. Yeah. You know, and he's one of the you know, top 20 fighters in the world, top 10 fighters in the world. How do you go into that match feeling? Um, so at Alicante training camp a couple of weeks before, um, I knew that, so I had a, I had a round door with him. Karen was like, don't show all your cards, just sort of have a feel. And so that's sort of what I did. I sort of just tried to fight how I would fight, but without showing um, like everything. And I knew he was good. I knew he was right-handed. It would start very left, and then he would be dropping both sides quite tidy on the ground. So I knew, but I, I didn't see anything that um, scared me. I didn't see anything that I felt was going to be a massive threat. I knew he was quite good on the grips, but... Nothing that I uh, was thinking, right, I can't win this fight. I knew it was definitely a fight that I would be underdog in, but I could win. So I approached it, and I knew that I just had to fight. The first fight against the Cypriot, I, that's what I didn't do. I didn't fight, and I just stole the, the contest at the very end with a throw and got out of dodge. The sec the quarterfinal fight was like it was one of them. It was a country that he got like a walkover. So the fight didn't really last long. So I still haven't hadn't really stepped up on the day. So I knew that I had to fight and fight hard. And so the first exchange, just try and launch a massive right hand, end up head butting him, busting my own lip open. And I'm like, right, well, here we go. We're in the fight. And to be honest, I felt like I was in the contest. It was just about um, trying to get on the sleeve, control the head, and try and get deep because... If it was to get deep, I could shoot for the Osudo. And because he was standing quite left, assume he was on. Um, even though he was right-hander, it was just sort of the way the contest would open. And then as he was to, to build pressure and bring on towards me, I had a drop left that I sort of was keeping in the in my cards from the training camp. Um, so it was sort of the build towards that. And to be honest, the contest was going okay. It was quite close. Um he was quite good on getting on the sleeve and keeping it. So it was, I was having to try and avoid him getting on my right hand. And then a couple of minutes into the contest, he scores with a drop, a drop CO uh, for Wazari. And um, it was like, right, looked up Kieran. He's like, look, don't change. The fight's still the exact same. Just keep doing, building towards what you're looking for. And so that's sort of what I was trying to do. I was trying to just, Keep the same fight. Don't panic. I still only need one opportunity because I know if, if, I'm, if I'm in, I can throw and I can throw anybody. So that was sort of the, the idea. Um, and yes, yeah, the contest went on. Still wasn't really 
he was quite good at seeing it out. And I think that's where the experience and why he's one of the top 10 in the world is that he's able to, if he gets ahead, it's very hard to get a score back on people now, the way the rules are set out. It's very hard to chase a fight. And he's very good at managing it out. Um, the fight went to the deck and he managed to get the score. Now, as what happened, as you'll see what happened in the bronze medal fight, I snapped the groin off the bone. So I've, I've, there's a pre-existing injury and I've just, I've, for the past six months, I haven't been able to keep people in my guard. If someone's getting their leg out, I just don't have that at Dr. Squeeze. So I, I was fighting hard to try and keep his leg, but once he once he was only one leg in and I wasn't really having the strength to, to keep the leg, so he got the leg out and he held me down and it moved on to the bronze medal fight. And to be honest with you, I thought he was going to win the, the tournament. Um, I, I thought he would have been the favourite. Lachlan fought him very well and uh, got the win so far, played him. Like, but um, the Canadian was definitely... I thought coming in that he was going to be the one to beat. Definitely. Um, and like you say, I think, yeah, Lachlan obviously had a sterling performance. He had the crowd behind him as well. Um, you find yourself then in a bronze medal match. So did you injure yourself in that semi-final? Or is, it, is that well, something that's coming before and you re-injure yourself? Well, I, actually, I injured my ankle in that semi-final. When he threw me with the drop CO, I, I noticed something wasn't right in my left ankle and I was thinking it's fine get on with it and it didn't really impact me in that fight my groin I injured in February in Valencia um, I threw someone and I just felt I feel like I've pulled my groin and uh, carried on the rest of the session like adrenaline sort of okay and then for the rest of the week I could barely walk and uh like, so a, her, fly like home. a hernia or something, or a sports hernia? Or... I thought it was, the, it was definitely that adductor movement, and I thought it was my groin, and we went home, got an MRI, and before it, all the clinical signs said, you've pulled your adductor muscle, your adductor longus on the groin. I feel like that's what the, the MRI will show. But the MRI showed um, pubic synthesis, which is like... Um, the cartilage basically where the um your pubic bone around the pubic bone where the groin and the hips all meet a lot of like inflammation and a lot of uh a lot of stuff going on there and they told me this injury is commonly only found in pregnant women so i was getting slagged for having <laughs> a stupid injury that only found in pregnant women so i was like right well i just have to take this one on the chin um so we did a lot of rehab on that and for a long time, maybe 10, 12 weeks, I was out at the start of the year and I couldn't, I couldn't do judo. And uh, they gave me a cortisone injection to try and uh, allow me to get rid of the inflammation so that we could go out to Mongolia because we were doing two weeks training in Mongolia for like the final hard prep. And the injection went well. I was able to get through Mongolia. Training was unbelievable. I was able to regain strength in the adductor and uh, everything looked good. And then I was back training in Rafa a couple of weeks before the Commonwealths and I just felt like something wasn't right in my lower ab. And I felt like, oh, maybe I've got like a hernia or something. Something's not right. We, uh, 
I go back I, I would go back home um see the physio and it was because I was doing my final prep in Belfast anyway and uh they said no there's no sign of of hernia or something maybe it's like crampy or maybe it's from your um your maybe there's a bit of tightness around your groin something that's leading to that sensation so I was like right, happy days fine carry on training that last week and then um semi or the quarterfinal fight against the Nairu or wherever the guy was from from um I strangled him and I walked off the bat and I said Chloe was coaching me and I said I think of Paul McGroin because I felt my groin tight, my ab tight, my lower back seizing up. I was thinking something something isn't right here. Um, physio just loosens me up as you do that day. Like nothing's stopping you fighting. So you know you just you're getting through it. Adrenaline's gonna stop anything hurting anyway. So you just get on with it. And to be honest with you, other than trying to keep the Canadian's leg when he, he held me down, I didn't really feel my groin at all in that contest. So it didn't it didn't affect me. Um. So then, going into the rep, the bronze medal contest, uh, yeah, obviously it all goes tits up, and and I pull the groin completely off the bone. To me, the fight shouldn't even have got to that stage, but that's for another. That's for another day. Going into that fight, are you are you aware that you've been in that position eight years before? Is as in what, like the injury? Like no, no, no. I meant or in terms fighting of like, for bronze? yeah, fighting for bronze, yeah. Commonwealth Games. Like, is that part of on your yeah, mind? Like, or again, are you able to knew, focus? Going into it, I knew that I was almost for here for redemption. I was, um, I was getting my opportunity to, to uh, make up for what went wrong before. So I knew the sort of how it was going to work. I knew there was going to be a long break in between fighting. The, the semi-final and fighting for bronze I knew that it was just about trying to relax trying to take things normal and then warm up again later on because even in the grant on the IJF tour there's not as long a break as there was that day I think I finished fighting at half 12 and I wasn't fighting again at 7 o'clock yeah. so it was like such a long break and uh, you, you know you're trying to eat you're trying to sleep you're trying to just stay relaxed so I, I knew what it was like before and i knew what i did then that i didn't want to do this time so in Burma, in glasgow we left the the venue went back to the village tried to have a sleep in the hotel room and then i just found it was too chaotic too many people coming up to me being like oh good luck this that and the other it was too much that wasn't like a normal judo tournament in the normal judo tournament you're not interacting with the outside world you know i was just so I was knew we were just staying at the at the venue, and just treat it like as close to normal as possible. So I knew what it would be like: massive introduction, the lights, everything would have been big production. But it was just about trying to stay as level-headed and as calm as possible, and uh, just trying to stay focused. And to be honest with you, I think it I managed that quite well. I came out uh, through him the first exchange. He gets the Wazari and then throw him the second exchange. I get the Wazari and then it's it's fight on from there. Yeah, so I, I it's such a it's such a I, I don't want to sound like a complete dick. 
it's yeah, such yeah. an engaging contest to watch. Like, um, yeah. Like, like, I can see what, well, actually, the reason they give him the Wazari was... No, say, you definitely got put, the score. You definitely got the score. I can't... Their was, reasoning was he's put in his foot. So they're saying he tries to owe you Gary me. But there's 4,000 people in the arena that know who threw. Like, you can see the reaction and you can see how he falls. I finish on top of him. It's very clear that I step through through and, and through him. But he gets the score. Get on with it. I was still fairly confident that I was going to win that fight. If I knew. Because I've been drilling. I've been The whole prep, this was supposed to be my quarterfinal fight. And yeah. then Canada put in another person and it changed the season. Yeah. So I, I, I've been prepping for this, this fight for the last month. I knew it was going to be left-hander, and I was just to get deep. And oh, Soto Sumigesh, oh, Soto Sumigesh, just bully him. So this was the contest, this was the fight, and and uh, it was going well. Like definitely parts I should have done better. Um, but when like uh, when you don't get the decision, you don't get the decision, and that's just sport, isn't it? Yeah, it, it was it was heartbreaking. When I say it was so engaging, what I mean was it started in such an exciting fashion. Like mm -hmm. you threw him, and the score went the other way, and like everybody in the stadium knew it. And then you threw him again, and like everybody, I, everybody felt like there was this sense of vindication, and that you were mm -hmm. back on track, and that the momentum was with you, and that the wrong had been righted. Like there was a story within it. And then yeah. from there, the emotion, like as you start to struggle with your injuries and they clearly start to play a bigger role and you go into golden score and the pain and the upset or the, the distress that you're going through is such a visible thing <laughs> from, mm -hmm. from a really kind of like, it was such an engaging contest. It was, it's hard to watch because knowing you and like, being in the stadium wanted wanted you to get it so badly and everybody was feeling that yeah but there's always this kind of dread or sense and i don't know if you're aware of it that again as you're starting to struggle that it might be slipping away is that something yeah that no felt... so when there was a period where he so i got the two scores and then I did the exact same thing to get the two scores. So he was going to change up. He was quite more sh like straight armed with his left and he was stopping me trying to get deep. So there was about two exchanges where I hadn't figured him out and the momentum shifted a wee bit. And then I sort of got it back and the, the fight goes on, golden score. And then they stop it like, before Hajime. And I'm th even then I'm thinking, well, maybe they're going to realise that they've Hitched up and I'm getting the first Wazari back. I'm like a bit harsh to do this at the very end of the fight, but fair enough. I did throw him. Um, and then they go, Hey, Jimmy, I was like, right, okay, Re reset. And uh, going for, I think it was a Sumi, and my ankle that had hurt in the semi final starts to hurt. And I'm thinking, shit. So I'm, I'm feeling it like, right, okay, it's fine. You're grand. Up you get. And I had a wee bit of like a, a wee bit of like a hobble over to the, the start. And they can hear the crowd getting behind me even then. And I was like, right, okay, everyone's behind me. It's fine. Then that, that very next exchange, 
I'm over the top and I go in for a sumi and as soon as I go in I just feel it completely pop like my groin like I've never felt that sensation like it's I knew during the end that I have done something serious like I felt like I was shot from the stands like the it just completely came off the bone everything there's a few there's a few muscles in there that just got ruptured off the bone and it was bad. And as soon as it happened, I was lying on my face. And I was thinking, how am I going to win this fight now? Like, how how do I steal this? Because I know, I, I you know your body. You just know that you've done something serious. I'm sure when you did your knee, you probably did the exact same. You're thinking, how am I get like how am I supposed to do this? And so then I was like thinking, right, I don't know how I'm going to win this this fight now. And I'm automatically thinking. I am not like how am I another fifth the Commonwealth like this is not this is not supposed to happen like I'm supposed to be on the podium today like there's no I haven't pictured this like I've I've imagined this day a lot and I haven't imagined me not on the podium and uh, so I'm thinking right what's like how am I gonna get how do I make this happen so like I try to stand up and I don't think I don't think Kieran had realized like how bad the injury was because he's like get up and like like sort of like coaching me as as normal and i'm thinking i need to say like you're not going to say to your coach i've just snapped something but i needed to be like i need i don't know what i'm going to do here if you know i mean i needed some i needed a different sort of um like message or something because I, I i just needed some some sort of secret weapon because what the fight was was to be aggressive deep hand pull them in tight go deeper Oh, Soto, Ichimada, Sumigesh. And all three of those throws I just wasn't going to be able to do. So I, I needed a, a secret weapon. And um, as the fight goes on, you can just see me breaking down more. And I can feel it turn more and more every exchange. It, it's, it's, I've never felt pain like it. And it obviously shows. And the crowd are unbelievable. Trying to keep me going, keep me going. And... Uh, yeah, just there was just nothing I had, and you see me like you can see it in my face, and you can see the how different golden score was to the first thirty seconds of a fight. So it's it it's heartbreaking, and it was heartbreaking even during the contest because I knew that it was just slipping away, and there was no there was no way I was going to be able to throw him, and it was just about I, just trying to fight. It was it was heartbreaking watching, um, like genuinely. Like I think everybody in the stadium felt for you at that moment because they, everybody f- felt the right and the wrong at the start, and it wasn't just a journey to to go through. Where where are you at now? You 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 come out of there. You you have an MRI. I think yeah, so that doorbell. night, we're, so I'm I'm limping away off the mat. And I'm brought straight to uh, the medical room. And fortunately there, they have a woman who actually deals with like uh, like trauma surgeries. And as she says, for somehow I've happened to do about five groins in the last six months. So you've been very fortunate that it's very lucky that I'm the one that's here today. So she automatically straight away thought that there was something bad and just put me on the oxygen she's thinking maybe hernia maybe a tear in my ab and maybe a 
uh, rupture of the the adductor longus, and uh, she thought there was quite a few things just from the clinical test because I was just in a bad way. Um, so, so that night, you go back to the village, and they have an MRI machine at the village, so it was perfect. They had the results there that night, knew the damage, and then it was about okay, what who do I go see? And the surgeon turns out that there's a guy in London who specializes in, in this sort of surgery. Um, Professor Shilders, he's called, and he's uh, I think he actually did Andy Burns, um, for Glasgow, and he's done a couple of other judo players, he seemed to say, but he's He's the top FIFA surgeon as well. So, like, he did Steven Gerrard's groin and um, Man, or Man United, Juventus, Real Madrid. They all send people over to his clinic in London. So, I've just been fortunate that this guy was available and uh, went to see him. Um, and, yeah, he, was, he did his own MRI because he wasn't confident of the one that was done in Glasgow, uh, or in Birmingham, sorry. And... Uh, he was right to because it showed a bit more damage and then he scheduled me in straight away and I had the surgery on Monday. Um, so last, it's a month, it's a week today since I had the surgery and yeah, so recovering well. Uh, because of the, um, we actually thought that there's a bit more risk of infection because it turns out the cortisone injection that I had to treat the, uh, what they thought was pubic synthesis, he thinks that they'd misdiagnosed a tear actually then as well. And the cortisone injection would have made the muscle connector weaker, which then led to it completely rupturing in Birmingham. So he says the, the, the MRI quality or whoever was reading it at the start missed the trick. And so it was mistreated, mis rehab was all wrong and led to this injury but it is what it is I, I got like obviously wasn't in a great headspace after Birmingham um hadn't pictured myself not meddling so I was fortunate that I'd already a holiday booked with my girlfriend and we just got off to Tenerife like a couple of days after and I had a week there where you're just away from everything away from everybody and you see what life is like and there's there's good things out there so it was it was perfect time perfect opportunity to sort of bring myself back to reality and and uh, realize that, you know, it's it's not the end of the world and there's more things to come. So it was, it was good. It was good in that sense, perfect timing. And then it was about after that in the surgery and now the rehab. So, so what's next for you? You're obviously off the mat now. Mm -hmm. Like what does the rehab yeah. look like? And then um, you've had two major games. Do you, does the judo career continue? Um, <laughs> Yeah, the next the next Commonwealth Games is Australia in four years. Now they've never had uh, judo in a, new, a, a Commonwealth down there. However, the 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 silver lining of you, of you losing is that they picked up another medal. Yeah, <laughs> and had. No. The, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. I've already I said that to be first straight away. I was like, well, maybe in the long run this is beneficial. Gets me another opportunity. Yeah, so. They they had their best ever set of results um, yeah incredible yeah you know 10 medals or something from mm, 11 so you go potentially this is something four years time or is it about 
we're in the Paris cycle already. Does this yeah. injury take you out of that? Um, what what what's um, next for you? So, for me, all I've all I'm sort of thinking is fourteenth of November. I'm told that's twelve weeks, and I'm able to get back to judo, and that's the plan. So, um, the rehab and the all the treatment and stuff will be done in Belfast, the Sports Institute here, uh, with Sinai, and uh, so I'll be based at home. Uh, for the next 12 weeks and um, just by getting fit. So unfortunate timing with the injury that it, it, it'll it keep me out for the rest of this year. There'll be no no tournaments that I'll be able to fight uh, in 20, the rest of 2022, which means that I will lose out on funding next year. Uh, so it's a big chunk of money that we depend on for living. Um so the the first lot, half of the, of the year was building towards uh, the Commonwealth. Second half was going to be um, secure medal at the Continental Opens and then start to look, picking up points for qualification because funding's in the bag and it's just about trying to qualify for Paris. Um, so Birmingham didn't go well. Don't get, don't get the fight for the rest of the year. So no medals, so no funding. So we're back to square one uh, from January and it's it'll be, yeah, I'll just find a way. And the plan is still to try and qualify for Paris. Um, fortunately, Irish judo are in a <clears throat> much better position now than they ever have been in terms of uh, funding. Used to be the, the players would be funded, but there would be no money for the high performance program. So our funding that we got we didn't see a penny of it was all for um funding trips and now we get to keep a bit of it still have to uh like self-fund and uh put in personal contributions a lot to for tournaments but it definitely makes it possible for us to live and train just full-time um so i'll have to find a way to make a bit of money and uh just keep training away so it'll be the plan is still start back January, hopefully fight uh, Portugal Grand Prix to start of January and then go from there, try and, try and get as many points as possible until this year. It's still 50%, which is fortunate for me for the Olympic qualification until like July or something, June, July next year. So I have a lot of time to, to catch up. Um, so i the main bulk of the qualification points will be in that second year. So to stay injury free, it's the dream still still alive. Um obviously coming from Ireland, you know, it's not we don't often always have like Olympic representative. We were blessed obviously with Lisa, Ben and Megan and obviously Nathan was very close and um in the past, but traditionally we haven't. So it's it's up to myself, Barak, Joshua, Callum uh, Rachel, some and uh, to try and bring us through and keep the what's has been a successful period going. So, you know, we're all in the same boat. We're all going to have to just try and qualify and uh, fight as much as I can. And uh, yeah, hopefully Paris goes my way, and then hopefully Australia they pick judo because you know they they did ten medals. I think it was like their third, fourth, fifth most successful Commonwealth sport. In total, um, 
But the problem is obviously Australia want to be the most successful Commonwealth nation. If they bring judo, it's always nip and tuck between Australia and England on the overall Commonwealth leaderboard, not judo. But if, if they pick judo, England, they just had a very successful Commonwealth. Uh, that makes it less likely for judo to be involved. But oh, I think we, there's I think there's a few other factors. I think um, Australia have just set up a performance center. So yeah, in, in Victoria as well. Yeah, um, and they're building towards like 2032 Olympics. Um, I think India winning the the Cadet World Medal last week. I said <laughs> yeah. this. I said this on the podcast last week. But I think probably that buys a bit of encouragement from them. They're such a strong wrestling nation and Australia yeah. are terrible at wrestling. Like really yeah, terrible. Yeah. But India have such a big push for wrestling that it's always in the games down there. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder if um, that buys a bit more Indian support. I know the IJF are putting a lot of pressure. Like Lisa Allen's doing a lot of work and, and the rest IJF are really focusing hard to try and get judo involved. And like it, it should be involved. You know what I mean? It's, one of the most participated sports in the world. The medal tally shows that, you know, it's not only can Australia do well, but there's opportunity for loads of nations yeah, to do well. And that's what this sort of is about. Yeah. Like it's, it's about the everybody like having an opportunity and there's not many sports where you get that. You know, Australia they get swimming, medals, one gold, silver, bronze. Athletics, it's it's something similar with Depends on the distance, you know what I mean? Like it's there's not really many sports where there's so many countries can actually compete for a medal and then actually win medals. So yeah. for a, a spectator's point of view, it's it you know, it makes sense. And and again as a vehicle for the sport and for the athletes and to see stories like yourself I really don't want that to sound harsh, but it, it was an incredible story. It's such a journey that that the day, but that bronze medal match, like it, it's I have like a lot of people have been in contact. People I didn't even know, like it's been messaging me um, from the judo community outside judo community. People just saw it on on Twitter mm -hmm. and stuff. Like they've been reaching out to offer support and condolences and condolences as if someone's died. But like you know, actually like reach out to me, and it's it's been really touching. It's been brilliant, and it shows that. It that actually stage. created a bit. Of, it created a bit of traction for the sport, and you know, it's other people that maybe not, maybe not know judo will have heard the story or have seen clips of it on Instagram or Twitter, and will know about it. And you know, if, if hopefully it it does something good in the future. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Again, and without that Commonwealth Games stage, you know, it, it's second only to the Olympics. Certainly. Yeah. You know, certainly for this side of the world, it's second only to the Olympics in terms of providing stories about a sport like judo. Um, so many sports depend on it. Like, yeah, funding wise, I mean, judo Scotland relies heavily on funding towards building the Commonwealth. Kieran's program with the NIPP, like, we had the most successful return for judo for Northern Ireland, you know, like two medals and then six people fighting for a medal yeah like we, me and josh would probably like we probably know ourselves uh should have you know take that extra step but to have six people fighting for a medal returning with two medals for such a small judo nation it's it's great and for if for them to not get another opportunity because who knows if judo will ever be in the commonwealth again like it's been taken out of the youth commonwealth for esports 
esports is going to be making a push for the rest of the Commonwealth Games. You know, the sports changing, what people want to watch is changing, and it might never return. But it would be a shame, especially after how successful it was in Glasgow, how successful it was in Birmingham, for it not to get another opportunity. Definitely, I am. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut a short there because I can feel my yeah. wife glaring at me. <laughs> um, Owen, if people want to follow your journey, like from here yeah. towards Paris, like where can they find you on social media? Yeah, so E Fleming ninety four um, on Twitter, Instagram, the all that carry on. You'll see me there. I'm not too great with the social media, but I do my best to try and uh, keep people posted with the recovery because I know a lot of people have been been wishing me luck so I'll keep people involved and see how the rehab's going and keep us updated and uh, hopefully November time you'll see me back on the map and then pushing towards Paris mate it's been amazing thank you very right much cheers for having us James no trouble hope to catch up with you soon yes um, right on. guys you know the score all that nonsense subscribe like share blah 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 Catch you soon. Well done. Cheers. Take care, James. Take care, buddy. Speak to you soon, mate.